Hey everyone, it's Ruth here from The Happy Saver and I am back for season two of my podcast. So once again, I'm going to be delivering you 12 amazing Kiwis and their amazing financial journeys. And as always, my hope is that you're going to have a listen to this and you're going to learn something from it that you can apply to your own lives. Today, I want to tell you about Chris and his wife Kezia, who had the guts to pick up sticks and move to New Zealand and begin a new life just eight years ago. But before I do that, let's hear a quick message from today's sponsor. If you have KiwiSaver, then listen up. If you don't have KiwiSaver, then really listen up. If life goes to plan, you can kick back and retire at 65, but you want to know that you have a bit of money set aside for when you get there, right? Well, that takes planning and you need to start right now. No more excuses. Superlife KiwiSaver Scheme is a low-fee provider that offers a broad range of investment options. You have the flexibility to create your own fund and you can change your investment strategy at any time absolutely free of charge or you can select a fund that is right for you. Contribute to it regularly, check on it from time to time using that awesome mobile app and just get on with living your life. I want you to get to 65 and the biggest gift is when you actually have given yourself freedom from worrying about money in your retirement. Superlife KiwiSaver is managed by SmartShares and you can visit them at superlife.co.nz to download the product disclosure statement and sign up and transfer your KiwiSaver in mere minutes. Would you have the guts to move to another country? Well, Chris and Kezia did just that when they moved from the Philippines to New Zealand in 2010. It is an incredibly bold move, but they have hit the ground running and Chris shared with me how his Filipino culture shaped his views on money, but also how they are now merging those views with the Kiwi way of doing things. And our chat started out with the usual ums and ahs and nervousness, but almost two hours later, I thought we should really wrap things up because I could have talked for a lot longer and he was showing no signs of letting up either. And this is the beauty of this podcast. It creates the opportunity for people to talk about something that they are passionate about. And in both of our cases, it's money and how we use it in our lives. So to give a bit of background, Chris is 32 and he is married to Kezia, who is 30. And together they have a two-year-old daughter. Kezia was at work on the day that we spoke, but I think that Chris spoke eloquently for both of them because these two are a great team. They met each other in the Philippines where they both trained as registered nurses and together they decided to come to New Zealand in 2010 to work. I always find it remarkable that people find themselves drawn to New Zealand when there is such a big wide world out there to discover. So of all the places they could have gone, why here? Growing up in the Philippines, Chris told me that they were living in a developing country where the majority of the population were considered to be in the middle to lower class um, socioeconomically. His family, he said, were pretty standard and he said that they were middle class and they had the privilege of a good education and an understanding that his parents expected him to graduate, to find a good job, to earn a good wage and to support his family in some way. And both Chris and his wife were looking to study a bachelor's degree of some sort and many of their peers were looking to become doctors or lawyers because it was considered that those careers would offer a very lucrative salary and would make you appear pretty successful. But at that time, there was a boom happening within the nursing profession and they saw a really good opportunity to create a good career by heading down that path. And it was also boom time for trained nurses to head to the US of A because there was the societal belief that the grass was greener in the US 
and it was the place to be. Chris said that everyone was fixated on getting to the USA and there was what he called a cultural brain drain as people headed there. But all of that changed in 2008 when the global financial crisis occurred and the USA closed its doors to them. People had to look elsewhere for an opportunity. And although a good occupation, the nursing profession would not give them high enough wages to get ahead themselves if they stayed at home in the Philippines. A registered nurse salary would bring in about $500 New Zealand per month, and that is actually considered relatively good um, as a salary in the Philippines, but they would still need to perhaps live under their parents' roof. And they love their parents, but they wanted to see what else the world could offer that would help them to get ahead. At that time, many countries, including the Philippines, outsourced their labour, so they really capitalised on that. And New Zealand at the time had a nursing shortage, and in 2010 this country opened up its doors, and these two grabbed the opportunity, as did many other Filipinos, as it offered them a pathway to study, to work, and then to residency. Australia and Canada were also doing the same, but Chris has many friends who went to other countries, and in hindsight, it has showed him that nothing matches the lifestyle that these guys have found here. And their path here was relatively straightforward, with them coming in on a working visa, attending a six-week program in Rotorua and Tauranga to acquaint them with nursing in New Zealand. And after five years, they both became proud Kiwis, proud Kiwi citizens, because this is where they are going to grow old and retire, he told me. I've mentioned it before in other podcasts, but there are often points in your life where a lucky opportunity presents itself. Chris and Kasia graduated from their course and they applied for what must have been about 50 jobs in the Rotorua area with no results. They really liked Rotorua for its more simple lifestyle and they did want to be there. But then the phone rang and it was his father's cousin's wife, someone they had actually never spoken to or heard of before, but happened to live in Auckland. And she basically said, I'm on my way, pack your bags. And this stranger arrived and picked them up and she helped them find accommodation in Auckland. And through a few contacts she had, she got them applying to every job on offer in the Auckland region. And that was how, within two months of arriving, they found themselves both fully employed as registered nurses, and now they are nurse managers in a not-for-profit retirement facility where they still work today, seven years later. I asked Chris if they will stay in Auckland, and he confessed that they are not really lovers of big cities with the bustling city life and the higher price tag to live there, but the rest home where they work provides a really good place of employment. They're really happy that they get to work in the same place together, working mostly the same hours with mostly the same days off, And they both liked their management, their colleagues, the residents, of course, and the culture and the life of the rest home. Now, Statistics New Zealand um, have 2015 figures, and they say that the median salary is $49,000 before tax. And I asked Chris where they sit with this figure. They're both in the same managerial roles now, and each earn in the $60,000 to $70,000 range. And they have received a pay rise in July each year. Chris has his nursing union to thank for that, uh, he told me, and he said that they work really hard to make sure that nurses and care staff are appropriately rewarded for their work. And they also have a flatmate who is also an extended family member who lives with them and pays them rent that they can then put towards their mortgage. Now, I enjoyed talking to Chris about how or if they discuss money in the Philippines because with them having spent eight years in New Zealand, their views on money have shifted and they have a different mindset with money now But when he talks with family, as he often does, they are still very much exposed to the Filipino culture. 
there is that expectation that they send some money home to support their family. And it's that lingering expectation that is the source of a little bit of friction sometimes. Chris says that it's in their culture to really look back and to support the family. But there was friction just last week about them being frugal and too conscious of their spending here in New Zealand and too conscious of their budget. And the family thinks that they are becoming a little too extreme. There are often requests for a little bit of help back home with conversations like, well, your brother's having a birthday, can you please increase the money? Or we're all going away for the week, can you support us please? And Chris says he gets a little bit defensive sometimes because he has a budget to stick to and goals to achieve here in New Zealand, but his family think he is holding back too much from them. His own father works away as a mariner, but he earns in US dollars and he sends all his money home. But here in New Zealand, Chris and Kasia live, earn and spend using New Zealand dollars and the exchange rates are obviously quite different. His family do try to understand, after all, they are working to their own budgets back home, but it is a tricky topic and he has to approach it carefully and balance what he has learned about the money culture of New Zealand with the culture that he was raised with. And I was interested to know if the exchange and giving of money was a two-way street, but no, it's strictly one way and the culture is that he sends money home to support his family and when he starts dwindling down and rationing his remittance back home because he has expenses to pay here, well that is where the friction starts. So what was one piece of advice, either good or bad, that his parents taught him about money and what does he wish they had taught him that he has since worked out for himself? Well, Chris said that there was not much positive talk about money in, in his home, but he remembers his dad saying one thing. His dad said that he had to learn how to invest when he left home and he told him, you have to find ways to double the money that you earn. And it turned out that his dad was actually doing some share market investing in the background, but he never shared it with Chris because he was nervous about it. He was also buying empty lots or you know empty plots of land and he was land banking, and he has bought a few houses as well over the years. He wishes he could have felt more comfortable to talk to his father about that when he was at home, and he thinks his father was in his own way trying to do that, but he didn't understand what he was trying to teach him until he came over here to New Zealand. And I guess it is a case of being in the right time to listen and to learn. Chris referred to light bulb moments throughout our chat where his eyes were open to something entirely new which sparked his interest and for him reading the book Rich Dad Poor Dad was one of those moments and this is a book that he also shared with his parents, particularly his dad, in an effort to educate them about money views from a different perspective. His mum actually gives him a bit of a hard time and tells him that all these things he is reading just make him even more frugal, which I thought was a bit of a laugh. And what about his family here in New Zealand? How was their money relationship? Are they polar opposites or are they on the same page? Chris and Kasia are absolutely on the same page with money and that is just one of the things that he loves about her. Some of his money management habits have come directly from her and she had a more positive and nurturing upbringing and is more knowledgeable with money than him. As he works things out for himself, he says he has another light bulb moment when he realises, ah, this is what Kasia has been teaching me all along. There are no arguments about money, just the normal husband and wife bickering, he said, um, if either of them deviate from the plans and the budgets that they've both set. And I have certainly noticed that the key to financial success is being on the same page with your spouse, and it looks like these two have definitely achieved that. I wondered if they had someone else in their lives who they can openly talk about money with. 
He has a colleague at work that he can have a chat to about it, and to a small degree his brother, but pretty much it's just um, his wife he can talk finance with, and we both agreed that she is probably the most crucial person anyway, and he will often bring money up in conversation, judge the other person's interest in the topic and uh, change it quickly if they're not interested. But like me, he is always looking for someone to talk about this stuff with, probably hence our two-hour chat. (laughs) Now, Chris and I met via my blog, The Happy Saver, when he sent me an email asking a question about index funds. So he is definitely keen to connect with people. Uh, that he can have discussions with. Plus, he has hooked up with a property investment group, but more on that shortly. Now, everyone has financial habits, things that they just automatically do, and Chris is no exception to this, and I asked him for his top three. Now, number one, on a weekly basis, him and his wife have a conversation about what is coming up and what is going to go out from their bank accounts. Most payments are automated, but they still keep a very close eye on what is happening. And each quarter, they adjust payments as needed, and they always keep their eye on the goal. More money coming in than going out. Number two for him is together, they are always continuing to learn how they could make more money. Now, he is like the research guy of the household and she is the hands-on part of the team and currently they are growing succulents to sell on Trade Me as a side hustle and they're researching all sides of how they could potentially scale up this project and I'll link to um, that in my show notes on my website. And number three for him is neither of them will buy something if it does not add value to their lives. They don't use credit cards and they only buy the necessary stuff and they'll always seek out the best deal when they are shopping for something like clothes, for example. And their three main financial habits lead nicely onto their money elevator pitch, a sentence that would sum up their approach to money. And for them, it is money absolutely can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a bit of freedom. And they are striving really hard to reach financial freedom. Right, okay, on to some nuts and bolts for them now. 2013 was a huge year for the couple. They got married, they bought their own house in Auckland and they went on a trip to Europe for their honeymoon. Looking back, they don't know how they managed to do it all. Uh, They returned to the Philippines to get married and they invited 200 people. Now, oh well, I compare this to my own wedding where we had three guests and one of them was a two-year-old. Being his parents' firstborn, it was really important to the family that they celebrate their marriage well and they share their happiness with others. Traditionally, the husband's family takes care of the wedding, but these two mostly did it themselves to the tune of $10,000. And to help out, his parents bought the wedding rings and hers did the flowers and the decorations for the big day. Now, I should point out that I'm the fifth child and my wedding cost $100. (laughs) So I wonder if there's a sliding scale in the Philippines as well. Their honeymoon was spent on a Kentucky tour in Europe, which sounds like it would have been a lot of fun. And now to the house, which they credit as being their biggest financial triumph. Whereas I was thinking that only spending $10,000 for a party for 200 guests at a wedding could have been considered a financial triumph. But their home in Auckland cost them $492,000 and they still owe $380,000 on it, which, uh, as Chris pointed out, is still pretty big and I concur with him there. They consider themselves fortunate because at the time they bought, they only required a 5% deposit. Uh, Now, it was in this mega year that they also attended a two-hour seminar for beginners to property investment. He knew absolutely nothing about rental property investment and he credits attending the seminar with having another one of his light bulb moments where his eyes were opened to the fact that you could make money with property. 
They are still part of a property investment coaching group and he is regularly involved with them for support and advice. And this is what led them to use some of the equity that they had built up in their own home to buy a rental property in Rotorua for 315000 and they used a 20% deposit to do that. Not in Auckland because that did not feel like a sound investment to them. As soon as they were pre-approved for a loan, they purchased two two-bedroom units on the same property and feel that for them it is a good long-term buy. In hindsight, he says he would not have been in such a rush, but they currently owe 252 on that property and are servicing an interest-only mortgage where the rent is covering mortgage payments. But despite this, he admitted to feeling a little bit over-leveraged. In the very near term, they are looking to move away from this type of mortgage to one where they can pay down the principal as well as paying interest. Now, I felt compelled to ask the question that I know some of you listening to this would hope I would ask. How much did they pay for the seminar? Well, hold on to your hats. $10,000, which they paid off in instalments. And instantly I thought, oh, you poor people getting suckered into a seminar designed to suck money out of you. But Chris did not see it that way at all. They consider it money well spent towards an education around home ownership that they never would have received otherwise. They would never have purchased their own home at the time they did, which saw them just sneak in with a 5% deposit before the rate was lifted higher. And their ongoing discussions with the group had provided them both with a real opportunity to ask questions and learn from others. And where else could he have done this otherwise? They value the coaching group because that was the first time he had his mind opened up to personal finance and because of the group he also had a crash course in insurance, mortgages, tax returns and solicitors. Prior to this he just didn't know that any of this existed in the world and it really opened him up to a wide range of books and all things financial. So he believes he has paid $10,000 for a good education in New Zealand and I guess I'm starting to see his point. Imagine if you and I moved to the Philippines, how on earth could we figure out how these systems worked? Chris was clear to point out that he does not like debt at all, but he is okay with his current arrangements, apart from the interest-only mortgage that is, because he feels confident that they've purchased appreciating assets. And he spoke with real gusto about everything he has learned, and it seems like he has the whole money thing under control in all aspects of his life, which is really awesome. But that does not mean that we can't still make one or two slip-ups and I asked him what his greatest financial flop might be. It was to buy and finance a car worth $14,000 when he said, to be honest, they didn't have to. They could have bought a cheaper and just as reliable car. But back then, they didn't know squat about personal finance and were still in the mindset of you buy what you want when you want. He put $2,000 down on the car and they financed the rest. And they sold that vehicle after three years for $4,000, losing $10,000 along the way. And I'm starting to notice that money comes in and out of their life in $10,000 chunks. Now, this gave Chris in particular a big wake-up call. And I think that Kezia was advising him differently about the car, but he listened to himself and not to her. And as a result, he's learned a huge amount. But the mistake was indeed costly to both of them. He thought getting a car loan was normal and that is just what you did. They didn't have a home at the time and they were really good savers, so why not just get it? He puts it down to a bad decision and one that they won't be repeating. So what is their splurge, their luxury, the thing that some may consider a waste of money but they don't? Well, the most extravagant thing they have purchased in the last 90 days was actually a holiday to the USA and it cost $10,000. It was 
an indulgent luxury and they don't regret a cent of it. And like me, they love to travel. And for people who grew up in a tropical country, they are suckers for snow. So they went over there and they found some in Canada, Quebec, Montreal, New York, Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. And he sees splurging on travel as one of the bigger hurdles to becoming financially independent. I asked Chris if he could retain all of the knowledge that he has today regarding money and he could go back to his 15-year-old self and start again. What would he do, whether it be the same or something quite different? Well, knowing what he knows now, he would have done something different. He would have researched how he could save up and get into index funds back home because he now knows that they were actually available at the time. And having a part-time job was not a thing back home, so his main source of allowance at the age of 15 was from parents and was obviously not a lot of money, but in hindsight, he would have saved smarter when he was at school, which would have created a saving habit. However, using the knowledge he has now, he is talking to his younger brother about the opportunities out there, and he has started with index funds back home, which is great to hear. Chris and his wife have a lot of debt to pay back and the company they work for offered every employee a free seminar at work to talk about money as part of a staff support program, which is just such a great initiative. And this led to a one-on-one session with an authorised financial advisor who took a look at their situation and gave them a pat on the back for knowing where their money was, avoiding consumer debt and budgeting really well, but that the structure of their mortgage could do with a little bit of help. The mortgage of their home is broken into three fixed rate mortgages, each with a different interest rate and maturity period, and they have been given the advice that because of their budgeting skills, they actually could cope with a revolving credit mortgage on a section of their debt, which would allow them to pay it down a lot faster. So this was something that they were looking into when we spoke. And despite having all of this debt, Chris's appetite for new information and a willingness to learn shows no sign of letting up and is what has led him to make a start on the next chapter of financial independence, which is investing. He is just exploring index funds and he just started with this in late 2017. And it was ETFs that prompted him to get in touch with me when he sent me an email asking if he had too many ETFs and wondering, instead of making it simple, did I make my passive investing a bit more complicated, Ruth? So you listening to this, you can be the judge. He is spreading $100 per month across the following funds with Superlife. He's got the US 500, New Zealand Top 50, an overseas New Zealand hedged fund, a bonds ETF and a property ETF. He tells me his portfolio mix is 70% equities and the rest with bonds and property. And there was a mention of a pie graph which shows his whole strategy. Now, my initial thought is to pay off all debt first and foremost, but is the $25 a week they put towards these funds actually providing a pretty cost-effective form of education, I wondered. Now, he has studiously researched all that he is taking part in, and he's really thrown himself into the process of understanding how these funds work. His investing is in total $1,200 per year, and I bet that over the course of 2018, he will make a few decisions himself about whether he has picked a good strategy or whether he wants to make a few changes. His other investment is with KiwiSaver and he is in a Simplicity Growth Fund but his wife remains with her ANZ fund. She does not want to switch even though he told her that she would save on fees if she did. She's standing her ground and her view is that once she can see the difference between the two funds clearly she would switch. So they have a foot in each camp and they're going to wait and they're going to compare. I mentioned that they uh, have a young daughter as well. Well, the financial planning is already well underway for her too, which makes her an extremely fortunate little girl. 
Now, since she was small, they have been putting $50 a fortnight into a savings account for her and they will continue to do this. And as the amount grows and their knowledge grows, they will start to look at the best place for that money to be invested. And despite having two large mortgages to pay off, a child to invest for and new investments to learn about, plus, of course, coping with day-to-day expenses, they are still budgeting and planning for every eventuality. Part of being in control of your finances is being prepared for that bump in the road for something unexpected to go wrong, and these two are well prepared. They read The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape and have what they call their extinguisher account, where they have three months of wages set aside in a bank account, and they do not touch it, ever. Now, I hope that they never need to, but I know firsthand the peace of mind that they will receive by having it just sitting there. So. There you have it. Two people who hit our shores only eight years ago, who came from a culture quite different to what you typically find here in New Zealand. And these two are thirsty for knowledge and they have taken every opportunity that has walked their way and they continue to search for more places to learn. Now, I quote Chris directly when he said that they choose to cut the crap out of their lives and make themselves available to find new opportunities to make money. And I just love how they blend the culture they grew up with and are still very much exposed to from afar with the culture that they find themselves in here in New Zealand. There are a few niggles as the two different points of view collide from time to time, but basically I just see them making the most of both worlds. I think that as far as investments go, they will settle into a comfortable routine and find a balance between paying back debt and wealth generation as well, because the two of them are in the thick of things day to day, but are always looking ahead to the future to see where they want to be. And what I also loved is that they're on a really steep learning curve, but at the same time, they wanted to share their own experiences, even if it means just one other person, maybe you, can learn something from their story. Now, you may have listened to this and agreed with some parts and questioned others, but it all just adds to our own level of understanding and it all helps us make decisions in our own lives. So I just wanted to say a massive thanks to Chris and also to Kezia, who is listening to this for the first time now. I hope you think that Chris represented your family really well. I certainly think he did. I'm just really grateful that you shared your money journey with us and I really look forward to staying in touch with these two to see where the journey is going to take them. Now, before I wrap this up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. They help me bring you this podcast for free, which is the exact amount of money all we frugal types like to spend. A huge thank you to Superlife KiwiSaver Scheme for helping me bring this episode to you today. Superlife is a low-fee provider that offers you a broad range of investment options to choose from within its Superlife schemes. To transfer your KiwiSaver in mere minutes, visit superlife.co.nz where you can also download the product disclosure statement. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could give me a five-star review in iTunes and share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and family and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.